Oh! <laughs> Every fucking time. I know. All right. Welcome to the Grand Podcast Hotel. Buddha Podcast oh, Hotel. Carson. Uh, sorry. I give you an idea and you just... Sorry. Uh, all right. On this episode, we are talking about uh, our recommendations from recent years. Uh, we have guests Peter and Cam on episodes today. And I guess Cam, uh, because you have been on an episode before, you have been upgraded from guest to friend of the show. Oh, so shit. congratulations on your promotion. You're a hero of the podcast. In my <laughs> I pre- I'm a return member. That's, that's fantastic. It's, I'm, it's an honor. <laughs> Peter, we're happy to have you here, too. It's kind of bullshit start. So. <laughs> <laughs> Set the playing field right yeah, up. There we go. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do a, a bit of an introduction for you guys. Um, Cam, you've already given us your uh, your uh, movie that represents you and character in the past, but Peter, uh, this is your first time on the podcast, so I forgot to ask you if you're ready, but do you have a movie and a character that represents you as a person? Uh, no. So let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, thanks guys for having me. Uh, obviously so nervous right now. Um, it's kind of... For those of you listening, it's it kind of looks like the scene from Eyes Wide Shut, where everyone's <laughs> just sitting around waiting for Tom Cruise to pipe up. Um, okay, so character I relate to. Um, you guys obviously just know me through work. Like you, we've known each other for the last year and a half. And football. And football, sure. Um, I was a pretty big like pretty big jerk like throughout like middle school and high school. Like I wouldn't say I was a full like a full out bully, but uh, I had some tendencies. So for the character that I relate to, I always find like, like movies that have just like over the top bullies. Like I just use it as like a kind of a measuring stick to feel, yeah, just like to feel better about myself. And, um, I found that the new, like the most recent iteration of it, just, um, Henry Bowers, I thought was like the most insane character. Which one is that? Is that the psycho kid? He's he's like the, he's the bully. The one that got like, oh, right, down. yeah, he falls down. I mean, the well, I mean, with spoilers, no spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, 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 fuck it. Okay, but yeah, that one, <laughs> yeah. So, he like, he's like a psychopath in the movie. He, um, he basically, like, in the book, he's he's in sixth grade, but he manages in the movie to like ride around in a Cadillac all day. <laughs> he cuts someone with a switchblade. Um, in the book, he breaks someone's arms twice in successive years in the same spot. So, yeah. yeah, I really looked up to him. Uh, <laughs> I think he was also a racist. He was racist, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is very I'm telling. about the same guy, cool. Yeah, so, yeah, he was needlessly racist to the, uh, the neighborhood uh, black boy, I guess you could say. So uh, He doesn't have a name because we're also racist. So, <laughs> so high bar there, and I respect it, and uh, I don't know if I, like, you know, just, he sets a high bar, so that's good. Um... As far as a movie that I can relate to, um, I kind of found myself, uh, everybody wants some. I thought that kind of like summed up a pretty funny time in my college life where I was just like living around like hyper competitive bros. Like where like <laughs> I was in a city where nothing's going on. You're basically just kind of like the only thing you're doing is like, I know in the movie, like there's like a crazy ping pong scene. They're going after it forever. So it's just like work. It's kind of like that, but like with like Halo. So, oh. that's, <laughs> so that's basically it. All right, well, thanks, and welcome to the show. Uh, On today's episode, we're going to be doing our recommendations of past years, so 2016-2017 movies that we really liked, Uh, and then we're also going to be doing pitches about uh, shitty movies that we want to turn into Oscar winners. But first, I'm going to go on a rant, because I have to, and this is why I wanted the agenda for this episode. Um, 
I want to go on a rant about how much people talk about how movies are shit these days. And I'm pissed off about it. And it's even YouTube channels that I really like. So Red Litter Media is a, is a YouTube channel that we really look up to. And every January they do a video called... Uh, shit. Uh, Fuck you, it's January. Fuck you, it's January. And they talk about how shitty everything that's coming out for <laughs> movies is just going to be garbage and it's terrible movies. And it pisses me off because I feel like movies these days, I feel like truly and honestly we are in one of the golden eras of cinema. And Whoa. you look at uh, some of the movies that are coming out these, these, these days and the technology and the accessibility to other ideas. And if you look at Hollywood movies and what's coming out for the movies that you see an advertisement on, on the subway, on the way to work. And yes, like those are kind of shit, but there are movies that are coming out all across the board, like $5 million budget and great ideas, phenomenal, uh, special effects for something that's with low budget. And I honestly think if you look at the last five or three years, anything like look at any genre, a great movie has come out for that genre. I think this is one of the best eras, like 2015 to 2017, to be watching films, not from what's coming out from a blockbuster perspective, but what's coming out from just a the ability for filmmakers to create something. And it pisses me off when people say, oh, movies these days are shit. You know, go back to the 60s and 70s to see like a real movie. But the movies these days, I think, are phenomenal. I think there's a real ability for people to express themselves creatively. And it just pisses me off that people don't want to go beyond what they see the initial advertisement for. And there's phenomenal movies that are out there. And I think that's the purpose of this episode is to bring a little bit more light to these movies that you should be watching, but you might not have heard about because you didn't see about it on a subway advertisement. So that's, that's my little bit of rant of like why we're doing this. And I think we have eight movies that we're going to talk about here today that uh, should be talked about more. And it's not like, oh, I haven't heard about it. So it's some artsy fartsy dumb shit movie that no one's ever gonna like it's it's a thriller it's horror it's action movies that people would like the same people who are going to these marvel movies uh but they just haven't heard of these movies because you know they're not with a specific studio so i really hope that the the movies that we're recommending here today like you'll actually as an audience go out and watch and i hope you've seen something new because i watched all movies that were recommending and there's movies i hadn't heard about before this which i'm really glad that Whoa. you guys had recommended to me because there are some really good stuff here that me, who, I watch a shitload of movies and I hadn't even heard of these. So a lot of good movies out there. One of the best eras for watching movies. So I, I hope you enjoy some of the stuff that we're recommending. So that's my little bit of a rant. We'll get back to that later on. But first we're going to uh, skip it over to Paulo for our social media update for the episode. Oh, that's now. All right. <laughs> uh, let's do it. Social media update. Uh, really quick, as I always do, I'm going to shout out our uh, Twitter, which is uh, at... H-W-H-A podcast. You got it this time. I got it the, the first time this time. Uh, tweet us uh, any questions. Uh, if you want to be on the, an episode, if you uh, like what we're doing, don't like what we're doing, let us know. Um, follow us, of course, because uh, Carson always uh, tweets some some very insightful uh, messages into movies and stuff. Nope. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, oh, so, two big announcements. Uh, we have big plans. Uh, one of our upcoming episodes is going to be an uh, Instagram Live episode. Uh, I made that idea up. It came to me in a dream. And it's <laughs> happening. So, uh, if you ever wanted to see how what goes on behind the scenes when we're recording, um, now's your chance. 
Uh, well, more on that uh, on our Twitter. I'll, <laughs> I'll announce. I just thought of that too. We'll announce that on our Twitter. And um, also, uh, an update on the Houston. We have a podcast Instagram. It is still currently my personal Instagram, Paulo versus the world at Paulo versus the world. But we are almost reaching that twenty subscriber threshold of uh, creating our uh, special uh, podcast dedicated. Uh, Instagram. Instagram. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. You're almost at uh, Russian bot status. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, you know what? Two more subscribers. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Um, if you like what we're doing. Seven more. Can... Seven more to go. Seven? I thought it was 20. No, we're going 25. 25. Okay, 25. So, seven more. <laughs> um, that is it for our social media update. Follow us. Uh and I'm going to kick it over to Peter for uh, our first audio clip. Um, Peter, just you want to... Give us a little bit of an introduction of the the clip and what you're showing us. Uh, well, just when I was a, a young boy, my, my friends asked me in, in Kingston if they, I wanted to go to the local theater and see a movie called MacGruber based, <laughs> <laughs> based off the, uh, I guess, not so famous SNL skit. Um, I love Will Forte. I think he's the fucking funniest guy. Like, I think he's one of the funniest actors out there. I even love the SNL skit. Yeah, really stretched it out. And uh, I was like, you know what? Like, uh, and also like the, uh, the Lonely Island guys were directing it. So I was like, yeah, this, this is definitely up my alley. And uh, like, it was, a, it was a, like a religious experience. I just love this movie so much. We couldn't believe what we were watching. There was like 20 of us at the theater. And uh, Solid. I really think Will Forte just owns this scene. I mean, he goes, he goes head on with Ryan Philippe and he, he owns it. He, he lays it all out there. Yeah takes care of business so go ahead all right here it is and without a team behind you i just can't chance it i'm sorry sir i just where's the colonel you gotta help me they want to kick me off the mission. Well, under the circumstances. Fuck you, dickhead! All right. Wait, 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 I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. What do you want, MacGruber? Join my team. What? Join my new team and tell the colonel I can do this. I can't do that. Okay. Don't make me beg here, because I will do it. I am so sorry. I'm so goddamn sorry. I got freaking out here. I killed them. I killed them all. I'm so fucking stupid. I don't know what I'm doing and everybody hates me. Look, I will suck your dick. I will suck your fucking dick. I will do it. Just join my team. I'll suck your dick. You can fuck me or get fucked by me. You can watch me fuck something. Just thing in the room and I'll fuck it for you. Come on, just tell me what you want me to fuck. Jesus Christ, MacGruber. Just tell me what you want me to fuck. <laughs> okay, I don't have any lubricant. Do you see any whiteout or like copy toner should work? Or... Put your pants back on. What are you doing? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so fucked here. I am so fucked. Come on, MacGruber. It's, um... It's not so bad. Oh, it's not. 
The man who killed my wife is in control of a nuclear warhead, and I can't do a goddamn thing about it, and it's not so bad. Tons killed your wife? It was never proven in a court of law, but I saw it with my own eyes. I'm sorry, I, I didn't know. This mission was my chance to do what I should have done ten years ago. Gruber, we have a chopper waiting to take you back to Ecuador. Well, Colonel, sorry I let you down. Piper. I'm in. Lieutenant. I'm in. I'm on the team. Thanks, Peter, very much for that clip. Now, I am curious, uh, how do you think the logistics of being fucked with whiteout would work? Um, personally, I, I feel as though something, like, it would get kind of dry. I'm not going to get too oh, into it, but uh, again, leave that to you. So answer that on Wait. HWHA oh, podcast. How does it feel to be fucked by whiteout? And you could be on a future episode of this podcast. If you answer that question. <laughs> I think there's only one right answer, so <laughs> keep that in mind. Um, okay, so we're going to jump into our next segment, uh, and this is our recommendations for movies that we've seen in the past year or two. Um, so we've each prepared two movies that aren't very well known, haven't you know, are not number one at the box office, but are really good movies. Uh, so we're just going to talk about each of them. Uh, so how about Cam? You go first. What is your, your first movie you want to talk about? My first movie is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It's the new film by Martin McDonough. It has Francis McDermott. It's got Sam Rockwell. It's got Woody Harrelson. It's, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Martin McDonough's stuff. Mm -hmm. He did In Bruges. He did Seven Psychopaths. It's kind of a similar tone. Like, again, very dark. Um, I don't know. When I was... Actually, when I first saw the movie, I heard somebody comment on how his are so different because he's a playwright. I'm not sure if that really takes... I, don't, I, I didn't even know that. No. <laughs> right? So, personally, I, I didn't notice too much of a difference in terms of like the actual writing of it, other than his writing is kind of consistently dark and very writery, as we were kind of discussing earlier. But uh, it's a shocking, shocking film. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I it gets that it, from the trailer. I mean, serious? I okay, well, I mean, to get right into it, it's uh, it centers around... The, uh, the rape and murder of a child. Never mind. Right? Uh, Frances McDermott's child. She plays pretty much just like a hard-ass mom who's not having it. The police force, uh, she feels, is not doing their, uh, their due. And so she puts up three billboards calling out the sheriff, calling out the police force, saying, how come nothing has come of this yet? And it's kind of like the, uh, the fallout from that. Because obviously you can't put up a billboard in a community saying something along the lines of, how is this rape and murder not answered? Kind of, you know, draws attention to it, draws some questions. Yeah, it's not like a city of two million people. It's like, it's a city of like a hundred. Yeah, we're talking about, And it's about, like the yeah, chief is like somebody class. everyone knows. This is like, even in terms of like flyover states, this is like, yeah, a very, very small town. Everybody knows everybody. It's, uh, it gets pretty deeply personal. And uh, you, you go into kind of like the, the fallout from the actual incident. It's just, uh, again, I just love that sensibility. Like the towing the line between extremely dark subject matter with still a relatively light tone relative to everything else without spoiling it there's a really interesting arc with Woody Harrelson that I didn't expect from the trailers I don't know it's uh 
fantastic movie. I I don't know if it's a number one in box office quite yet, but it absolutely should be. <laughs> one thing I really like about this movie, and I think it's probably going to be a theme for a few of the movies we talk about, is how much of an asshole a lot of the characters are. <laughs> but it's... Like, I feel like there's way too many movies these days where you have, like, a generic I'm a hero good guy character. And a lot of these characters are, they're not good people, but you empathize with them still. Like, they find a way to make them real people despite the fact that they're assholes. Well, like, specifically with Frances McDermott's character Mm -hmm. in this, I mean, she's, like, she doesn't try ever in the movie to be, like, an approachable, uh, a nice person, really. She's, the entire movie, she's just giving the police force a hard time. She's just being, like... A thorn in their side. She but bitches the out a priest in one of the best scenes of the movie. I mean, how can you not? So what was that? She bitches out a priest in one of like the funnier scenes. Oh of the my movie god! Too. And the dentist as well. I yeah. mean, she's, she's just giving people like yeah. She's just there to 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 ruffle their feathers to give them a hard time. But it, it's extremely well done. And you can again empathize with where she's coming from because yeah. she, again, like her daughter was raped and murdered. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I mean, how can you how can you not get on her side with that? How could you not be mad at the priest? <laughs> right. Uh, one thing I really liked was Sam Rockwell. I feel like he's really hit or miss in roles, and like this is one of his hits. Like he did a really good job in that role. What are his oh. misses? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Justin Hammer in Iron Man Two. Uh, he's fine. Uh, he's fine. <laughs> Iron Man Two as a whole. He was so still fine. A bit but of he a was miss. good. Uh, Gentlemen Broncos. I, I didn't even know that was a movie. I've not seen that. Mr. Nice, maybe. I don't know. Mr. Um, or nice guy. Or right guy, Mr. Right. Mr. Right. Mr. Right. Yeah. That's what it was. I'll, I'll call that a slight miss. <laughs> this was not a miss, though. No, it was phenomenal. And I think it, Galaxy Quest redeems like everything, every bad thing he's ever done. <laughs> I haven't seen. I Galaxy was gonna say Quest Moon redeems everything he's ever done. I'll, okay, well, that's a phenomenal movie. I don't know if you guys watch Sunny though, but uh, uh, Max Mother. Oh, fair. It's always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, Max Mother was uh, uh, Sam Rockwell's mother in the movie, and she plays virtually the same person. Oh yeah, just like as many cigarettes as well. Just, <laughs> just cigarettes and beers and yeah. like passed out. Not not a huge speaking role, but it's it's the presence. You feel it. Oh yeah, it, like all the character actors in that movie just fucking nail it. <clears throat> oh, um, I don't know about you though, but like I came in with pretty high expectations because of some of the stuff that Martin has done in the past, and people had said that this is his best movie. And like comparing this to In Bruges, like it's it's on par, but it's not better. It's it's solid. It's real like right there it might be that i loved in bruges and i i i absolutely had high expectations going into this and maybe because of that i wanted to like it and gave it more of a pass but uh you know i, I was i was just totally engaged with this one I, I i i just fell in love with it just fantastic yeah it has some phenomenal scenes though which like i won't spoil but like there's some specific scenes where it's like oh holy shit i can't believe they got away with that uh, but yeah Again, extremely dark subject matter, but handled, like, pretty well. I purposely... Sorry, last point. I purposely only watched one of everyone's movies, and <laughs> this is the one that I didn't watch, and I really, really wanted to watch it. But You watched the other one? I did. Interesting. We'll come back to that, we'll come back to that later. Uh, Peter, what's going on? I'm up? Yep. I'm up again. <laughs> Talk a lot in the, uh, in the early outsets here. Jackie um, again? <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to come up with a hot take for the movie that I watched. I think this is like the most accurate coming of age movie I've seen oh. in my life just because it, it kind of encapsulates or encapsulates like what a shit show like that age between middle school and high school was. And just like I felt like I was always doing like terrible things, hanging out with people I didn't want to hang out with, um, just really not doing much, but just, you know, 
really kind of like tied together what I was like at that, that time in my life. Um, so I saw Super Dark Times. Uh, the director is Kevin Phillips. If you haven't heard of him, it's because he hasn't really done <laughs> too much yet. He's um, he's directed a couple of Gambino um, music videos, which is kind of cool. Because like, I, I feel like, you know, for my referral, I want to get in like the, the ground level for my referral. <laughs> kind of like someone who would have done for like, um, you know, way back in the day. But um, he, I think he did a, a, a short that, that was very successful called uh, Too Cool for School which is basically uh, falls around a kid who kind of drops out for the day because he really wants to have sex with a girl. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like that same like pent up like male frustration is kind of what I felt like in this movie. I don't know if you guys saw it as well. But um, it's basically kind of like just a coming of age story of kids not really doing too much, but they're, they're with each other. But, um, and yet they are doing too much. <laughs> but in this movie, um, it kind of centers around like a very traumatic experience that may or may not include a samurai sword. I think you can say what it is, right? Sure, yeah. 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 I've not seen this and I'm confused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, what, it, it's, it's let's just say like a little bit of horseplay with a, with a samurai sword after school one day goes like as badly as you could so, imagine. And it's kind of akin to the South Park episode kind of thing, like, like playing with weapons. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, fair. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And uh, from there, it's just like it's just a very like I like my I like movies that you know, just kind of uh, they, they they kind of just carry out like little moments, right? Like it, not too much hap- Like there's like a huge spike in this movie of like a horrific incident, and then from there, it's just like very subtle. It's just kind of like the characters like let it speak for itself. So I thought this movie was pretty awesome in that respect. Um, yeah, so yeah. two things I'd say about this movie. So I was watching this last Monday when Monday Night Football was on and I was trying to like keep track of the score on a phone <laughs> and like watch this on a movie or like watch this on my laptop. And like I put down my phone as soon as the movie came out because I was like, oh shit, I need to like, I want to pay attention to this. And like a movie <laughs> that sets the type of mood for you where you're like, I want to be absorbed in like the atmosphere and mood of this. I think like that accomplishes quite a bit. And like that was, that was what kind of hooked me in the movie. Uh, the second part of it, which I completely agree with you in terms of it being entirely relatable to what that part of your life is like, because the opening scene is two teenage boys looking through their yearbook being like, oh, I want to fuck her. or I don't yeah. want to fuck her. And it's like, I, I'm kind of watching that being like, oh, those guys are kind of like assholes. But at the same time, I'm like, that's exactly what I was I doing was at that point that. in my lifetime. And so when you take something that's entirely relatable that's like that's exactly what I would have acted like in that scenario. When they go through something extraordinary, which is, you know, spoiler, kid gets killed with a samurai sword, you're like, oh shit, like oh, I feel like go. I'm going through <laughs> that. that. Like, it, it goes it's early in the movie, yeah. so it's not a huge spoiler, <laughs> yeah. but like it's like I feel that because I relate to these characters of where they were right before yeah. that happened. Mm. To like to add on to that, like at least 75% of the movie you can say it's you, we always talk about like we, you can relate to the characters and whenever you watch a movie but like this actually did a really really good job of like capturing what it's like being at that age and just like talking shit and just the stupid things that you get up to and then like i i could i guess in another life if uh if that were to happen to me maybe i could see like kind of <laughs> like that's how you would have handled really it right? dumb person yeah yeah, but I mean, like, you, you kind of see, the, like, you understand these kids' train of thought because you kind of were there at one point. You could empathize with them earlier on, so yeah. then you're like, well, I can see how I would react yeah. similarly if I went down this, like, super specific rabbit hole. Yeah, that being said, I would not act the way they did at all. 
I would have like snitched right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one thing that like, they all had seemed to have like a like a jail code, like no snitching, <laughs> except for like the main protagonist who I thought did a great job. But um, yeah, yeah, I just um, I thought there were some really real like moments in in the movie, like even like before or after like the crazy traumatic experience. Yeah. But um, yeah. It, it does take a weird left turn near the end. It does not stick the ending. I will say that. It doesn't really stick I don't know if I ending. need it to, yeah. I'm okay with the ending because it's almost like... Like, they do such a good job of making the character relatable and the characters that, you know, they go in different directions. But it's like, you do such a good job of making it look like he's been through such a trauma that when he goes out... Like, when people go off and react in different ways, you're like... Yeah, I can see people being freaked out by this shit and like really freaking out because that's a really traumatic thing to see in your life. So it's it goes a little bit off the deep end, but I'm like, I'm okay with it because it addressed in a certain way that they grounded in reality first. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say that. I think the, like, the, the craziness of the samurai sword is just like, it's just <laughs> kind of like a vehicle. Like if it was yeah, a gun, I, I think, yes. I don't think we'd have any of this like conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's a good point. I also think that kid from Ozarks. Which one? He's the kid. Oh, is like, he in it? He's the long-haired kid. Oh. You know, like the trailer park kid. Like he's, oh, one of the trailer park kids. I think he's sucks. excellent. So he's the yeah. one that does the deed. He does the deed. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I think he's excellent. I think he's going to come he's up. He's pretty good. Yeah. He's good. Um, speaking of uh, samurai swords, which has nothing to do with movies. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to segue. Uh, my first uh, movie, which I'm most proud of, is called The Void. Um, it is a horror movie that I'm sure probably no one has heard of. It's very, it seems like a very low budget, small, like small release type thing. Um, it's basically about, uh, this cop, he comes across a guy who's like bloody on the side of the road and then he takes him to the nearby hospital where some supernatural, uh, things start happening. I mean, that's really the only plot uh introduction you need to know um but the 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 main reason why i really liked this movie is because i'm a huge fan of like practical effects and there is like next to no cgi in this movie I, i mean as far as i can tell it seems like and the thing with that is uh when you're looking at like practical effects especially in like a horror movie it you're actually looking at something that is that exists in the world so you feel like you're actually looking at something rather than like like a computer, like a someone staring at like a, a green tennis ball in the moment kind of thing, yeah. and then yeah yeah, 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 trying to find the eyeline. Yeah, and it's pretty like I really enjoy when they do it well. Like you can have, I'm trying to think of an example of like bad practical practical effects. Star Wars prequels. Uh, <laughs> no, what? No, that was CGI. Like most oh, of bad it. Oh, bad practical. Bad practical effects. Oh. Like like Tremors. Tremors was a good one. Oh, Tremors I mean, I, I think that gets a pass for the time. <laughs> and yeah. it's, what, but, do you, what do you think about the Death Note remake with uh, um, haven't seen Willem Dafoe? I don't know. That's some interesting practical. Let's okay. say that. Okay. Well, basically, just in this movie, they they use it really well, and uh, it's just like the adventure that they they're kind of holed up in this uh, hospital, and it's pretty creepy. Um, I don't like. <laughs> I like my horror movies not too scary, so I can actually <laughs> watch them. Uh, so I think this fit the bill pretty well, um, but at the same time, it was it was pretty. Uh, uh, yeah, it's was, it was pretty high on the creepy factor. So I would say all the elements of this movie I loved, like <laughs> people in a isolated environment, uh, David Cronenberg type physical effects. Uh, you have like a um, what's 
guy who did the thing carpenter john carpenter no, no. like that type of uh soundtrack so it's like yeah, yeah. it had all these elements of things Wait, that i loved that's an example of practical effects a good one sorry yeah, yeah definitely good effects <laughs> but it's like there was too much that the movie was so unfocused and it was kind of bad <laughs> as a whole but it had all these little elements that i loved and like all the practical effects and like all the practical monsters were great yeah but I... it just it didn't work as a whole but <laughs> No, I, I can I can it. totally agree that like even the ending I wasn't a huge fan of. I I just oh, like completely off the rails. <laughs> yeah, I like the journey that I was on until the end. It did remind me of the thing quite a bit. Yeah, and it had one of those like all time like movie tropes that I just kind of bail on. So like I like <laughs> I get anxiety like. Uh, when there's like rising tension and there's also a pregnant woman like screaming oh, at the same time oh, and yeah, they're yeah. both going on like <laughs> kung fu, like I just like you know something. I always seem to bail during those movies <laughs> so I think I had to like turn it off for like like an hour or two oh. and I was just like this, it's too much but uh, okay well I mean that I guess that adds to the horror uh... I also felt like um, all the people like hemmed in in the the hospital that were like super fucked like there was no way oh, yeah, it was yeah. gonna end well and like oh, yeah. some horror movies play out like that like i remember like the crazies i was like this is there's no way this movie can end well they were know. surprisingly generous to the only uh asian character <laughs> <laughs> which they not they never are in the movies uh side note she was in scott pilgrim versus the world um the girl in this movie she asian. wasn't nice chow was she? she was nice chow really yeah she was oh i didn't even know that I, I also know this. Not I didn't watch this movie because I knew she was in it. <laughs> I, I stumbled on it because she, and I and then she happened to be in it. And um I know her sister. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Was she also in the invitation that we're gonna talk about later? I think Was that her? Nice. I don't shot. know. <laughs> we're we're gonna research that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well she was in sorry, another side note, just completely uh right like left turn from what we were just saying she was in the circle as well oh i never watched that i watched it on netflix because it's on netflix and i was uh working from home i mean i was movies <laughs> while working from home uh, on the topic of recommendations would you recommend that the void the circle the circle no i wouldn't okay <laughs> it has like it has a good idea but uh like i wouldn't watch it it was kind of it's kind of cheesy okay so to not give us a break from more horror movies, I'm going to talk about yet another one. The uh, movie I want to talk about is Brawl in Cell Block 99. <laughs> that was a uh, Which is, kind of has all the gross violence that you would ever want to see in a movie. Uh, but it actually, I think... So, basic rundown of the movie. This movie stars Vince Vaughn, and basically he goes to prison. I mean, I guess that's a bit of a spoiler, but basically... <laughs> cell Block. Yeah, I mean, so, like, it says Cell Block. Uh, but basically he has a family and he's trying to, once he goes to prison for a crime, he's trying to get information or do something in order to help his family out who is on the outside, who is possibly being threatened while he's in there. Um, but really the value of the movie is seeing our hero Vince Vaughn basically just beat the shit out of people while he's in prison and in the most violent and gruesome way possible. <laughs> and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with super dark times about how much it how much it matters to make the scenario relatable before you make it crazy. And I think a lot of the fight scenes in Brawl and Cell Block 99, and I think a lot of the beginning, it's, it's slow boiling up of tension and it's making these characters relatable. It's making them real. And even in the fight scenes, uh, you see, so Vince Vaughn used to be a boxer. So he has like proper technique of how you would fight in a scenario like that. And, I think one of the first fight scenes in a movie is he's just like in a hallway with a prison guard. 
and it's it's not shaky cam it's not all these weird crazy edits it's just <laughs> vince vaughn squaring up against somebody else and just like fighting him in a way that. that you would properly do it and so when you take something that's relatable like that and then all of a sudden at the end of the fight when somebody's arm snaps in half and there's like blood gushing everywhere you're like oh fuck like that could this actually happen <laughs> yeah because you feel like this is actually a fight that could happen so the movie basically takes uh, like an hour of relatable scenarios and like real people that you can actually see happen in reality and then slowly just spirals out and out of control to the point of like it's extremely gross and extremely violent but you feel something even though it's extremely insane because they've established that ground level of like relatable i i'm kind of conflicted about this one <laughs> like i did not really understand some of the choices he made like especially <laughs> during the relatable well no sorry that's a bad term i i understood the choices he made but i kind of just oh my god i'm saying i understood but at the same time i didn't really get them like which ones okay uh it's not a spoiler but he's doing a drug drop like a drop with uh these two guys that he doesn't want to work with and then the two guys don't listen to him they get in a firefight and then he decides to come back like he could get away but he decides to come back and like help the police, which which is what lands him in jail. And like I get, they made the point of like he has a conscience, like he they know that he's he he's a moral guy, I guess. Someone yeah. to some to a certain extent. So which is why he did that. But like at the same time, like he, I don't know, it's just too. It was a little too far fetched for me. But it didn't ruin the movie. Which, like, I, I still enjoyed, especially, like, the latter half, when it really, really kicks off. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, there's a thing of... I have a thing about seeing bones broken in movies. <laughs> That's not the right movie for you to yeah. watch. That. Yeah, and I, I didn't know that it was going to be like that before I watched it. But it's, like, it's definitely worth, worth the time. Uh, but it also has one of the best beating the shit out of a car scenes that I've ever seen in a movie. Vince Vaughn basically just like gets angry and rips a part of car for very little reason. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Vince hilarious. Vaughn versus a car. And, and yeah, no, he does pretty well. Actually. That was the most calculated like temper tantrum that I've ever seen. Like, but like, like, it's not just like, oh, you punch a car and like the window explodes. It's like, oh, you punch the mirror and it doesn't come out. So you have to yank it yeah, like three yeah. or four times. It's like, it's what like, would actually happen if somebody was angry at a car? And like the situation <laughs> where he's doing it is like very out in the open. Like anyone just could have like mm -hmm. walking by could have just seen this dude having it out with his car for like a long time. <laughs> Yeah, I think like any like like thoughtful grindhouse movie like this, like I always appreciate, and uh, just like so the, the subtle violence, like where you're just like, whoa, shit, like that. I've never seen it being presented like this before. That looks like it is excruciating. So. Uh, but the director, uh, he made Bone Tomahawk a couple of years ago, which I don't know if you guys have seen, but is no. has one I've of the worst and most gruesome death scenes that you've ever seen in a movie. I've come close to watching it on Netflix. Uh, and I next year he's coming it. out with a movie with Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson as crooked cops who have been caught. I need to go into the underworld to like fight their way into oh like God. something. And I'm so much looking for it's called Dragged Across Concrete. And I'm <laughs> looking forward to it so much. That could be a title for this movie as well. Yeah. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Serious Vince Vaughn. Yeah, no, he does a great job. Um, unlike Serious Vince Vaughn, uh, my next recommendation is Serious Brett Gelman. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar at all with Brett Gelman's work. He's done a lot on Adult Swim. Uh, he does. They're called Brett Gelman's Dinner with Family, Dinner with Friends, uh, Dinner with America. They're all increasingly horrifying. In any case, 
the movie I'm choosing is Lemon. It was directed by his wife, Janexa Bravo, hmm. co-written by him. He plays the main character, and it's just... I, honestly, I don't even know what to say about it. I, I, <laughs> I recommend that people see it because it's an interesting film. It's a cool, like, first major picture for Janexa Bravo. Pretty ambitious, pretty artsy, but uh, it's Are you something. able to describe the plot at all? Um, that's there's what, a like, plot? There's a very loose, loose, loose plot about a man who's just, like... He's just miserable. Like, he just... <laughs> he, he, he's miserable, and he plays the victim so well like he just leans into those two aspects of his personality and just like doesn't even try to like take charge of his life and actually go somewhere he just kind of lets life happen to him in like a really pathetic way i guess that's a good that's a good description yeah like i'm it's uh michael Sarah plays i guess someone that brett gilman resents to some degree (laughs) Like, admires and resents. Admires and resents, yeah. Maybe he can see the success that he might have, maybe feels he deserves. <laughs> and uh, the entire movie is just him projecting his insecurities onto mm-hmm. everybody else. And with these types of movies, like we were, we were talking about earlier, with like the anti-hero or the hero you, you don't necessarily appreciate or you don't think is uh, fantastic, but he's not redeeming at all. Like no. at any point in the movie, he just he just continues to dig himself a hole. Okay, I, so I, I got that part of the. Sorry, continue. No, no, I feel like that's this is the plot though. Like just the fact that he keeps digging himself a hole and like he he refuses to get himself out of it, even when he has an opportunity. So whether he's going to like a new girlfriend's dinner, whether he's going to like I don't know, he's in his acting catch or yeah, yeah, acting class. At the same time, it's not completely miserable. And I would actually say, so this film ruined the disaster artist for me because it's movies about like, it's a similar, they're both like they're actors in lemon and they're actors and directors in disaster artists, Mm -hmm. but there's a heart in lemon where it's like, this is a real person. And it's like, he's a miserable person who is you know, as you said, kind of digging himself into a hole repeatedly over and over again, but they're acting in a way that seems like they actually have a personality. And I think that's what disaster artist was really missing of these characters don't really make sense. And there's actual coherent plot in disaster artist, which I think lemon misses a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ha- having just seen disaster artist as well, I, I definitely see the similarities in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why they probably in disaster artist probably focused on the more, empathetic of the yeah. two being the producer buddy Greg as opposed to Tommy who would be more similar to Brett Gelman's because Lemon is Isaac. never going to be a successful movie oh, yeah. oh no absolutely not okay no. coming from that perspective <laughs> not that I did like I didn't hate your movie like I, I so I watched it as, as a side note after hearing Carson's rant at the beginning I finally understand why I've been watching all these strange movies for the past <laughs> week but and Lemon is definitely like top of the list like if I were, like, the, the harshest criticism I would give is that you mentioned it has a heart, but I feel like I would say that that's the only thing it has. <laughs> like, it, but there, there was funny moments, like, I enjoyed, there was a lot of things that you would just see, like, it, especially in um, uh, the, the barbecue that you mentioned, the, when he's meeting his girlfriend, his new girlfriend's uh, <laughs> extended family or whatever, that whole interaction 
was was funny. I oh, enjoyed. It's just so uncomfortable. Like it, it, it's just painful. I, like that could be yeah. called dragged through concrete. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> like I I liked the fact. Like I liked watching that uncomfortable like awkwardness of a train wreck. Like that train wreck of a of a meeting or whatever of a party. But like the, the movie as a whole, I could, just didn't really understand. <laughs> no, but the, to be honest with you, that's kind of why I loved it. Like that's it, the it, point. It just, like, like, because again, yeah, you're not supposed it, to. If the art, <laughs> if the point of art is to make you feel, it certainly made me feel. It, it, made, it yeah. made me feel super uncomfortable. Like for the most part, <laughs> it didn't make me feel empathy for him. And I don't know. I I I can't say that it had a great deal of heart, but it was uh, an indie film, ambitiously done. It, it felt like a story that was made from the main character's perspective as like, this is how a person would feel. There was like a, not was a normal a person. Internal, no, not not a normal person. He was, he was putting out a lot of internal feelings into this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. I, I can mm-hmm. tell. That's why I say I, I agree that it has heart, but it was just like just heart with no brain. So <laughs> that seems like really hard. At least the uh, like the dinner party aspect was slightly redeeming, I guess. There was phenomenal individual scenes. Yeah, there. no, okay, there I, we no, go. That's, yes. Sorry, that's the point I was trying to make without speaking English properly. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. All right, boys. Um, so speaking of like uncomfortable dinner parties, um, <laughs> this next movie, it's actually my, my like front runner for my Netflix and chill, uh, my Rolodex. <laughs> so I've seen it probably like fucking... Oh. I don't know, like six or seven times already. Um, it's called The Invitation. Um, it's kind of like the first movie I chose where, you know, kind of like a tortured protagonist. Um, at certain points in the movie, you don't really know if what he's seeing is actually real or not, which I, I kind of like both the protagonists just played like awesome roles in this. Um, so the director is Karen Kasuma. Um, her other films are kind of kind of weird. Uh, Jennifer's Body, uh, Girl Fight. <laughs> <laughs> the XX and Aeon Flux, which is kind of weird when this is like a you movie. See, Aeon, Aeon Flux? Flux, that's Charlie's Theron, right? Yeah. Oh my god. I see that, a that's pattern. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the pattern like stops there. This is like a oh, okay. movie. <laughs> it's a movie about like a Hollywood, like a like a schmoozy like uh, dinner party that's thrown for people in the Hollywood hills for like a bunch of old friends. So um, the main, I guess, the main protagonist is played by Logan Marshall. Uh, featuring his beard, one of the best, <laughs> one of the best beard f- performances I've ever seen. All I knew about him before this was he's like was discount Tom Hardy. Oh, okay. discount. Not, that's not amazing. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I actually really liked him in this movie, but um, yeah, he was good. So yeah, it's basically he gets like kind of like a weird invitation for a dinner party. He's uh, this is a woman that he uh, used to be married to. They had a kid. Um, the kid, I guess, probably a bit of a spoiler, but uh, the kid. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately passed away so they have like just just baggage just t- like just hanging in the air through this whole dinner party he brings his new girlfriend um his ex-wife just seems very strange very different um the guy that she's with now also a bit of like a a hollywood like uppity type um so as the the night kind of plays out there's just a lot of warning signs that you know it, it just feels like a very like claustrophobic movie and it's like a the definition of a slow burn for me so I don't really go to the movies like too often anymore. A lot of times, like when I'm watching movies, it's on my couch. I'm just kind of like in my own little headspace. So it's just like a nice, like slow burn of a movie. You can tell something is not right. Something is very unsettling from like the opening scene where the guy hits like a, hits some roadkill. The deer. Or I think it's like a coyote or something. Yeah, it sounds like the white yeah. get out. <laughs> it's kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> That's good. I didn't, I didn't see this one. I think you're right. I think it is a coyote. Yeah. Coyote and also, yeah, white get out so it kind of plays out in the way that um the first time i watched it i'm not really sure if he's overreacting to every small thing that plays out throughout the, the night or if you know something really terrible is afoot 
Uh, I probably should have known when John Carroll Lynch was in it. That's something terrible was <laughs> happening. I mean, you know him. He was um, he was like the Zodiac in, oh, in Fincher's that Zodiac. Guy, yeah. So like him, I, I don't know. I feel like whenever his fucking massive bald head comes into a movie, <laughs> like someone's dead or being tortured. Or, um, and he did it. So not to give it away, but uh, something's definitely afoot. But I, I just really appreciate this movie. Like, I felt like it wasn't boring, but like it was very like methodical. Like the pace was super slow and. Um, <laughs> I like what you said. Like you're questioning if he's looking too much into it, because like at, at least when I watched it, that's definitely what I like. The vibe I got from it is like, is is this guy actually like, is he in danger, or is it just that he's perceiving everything? He's got his guard up way too much, or like because I don't know. What does this question. actually mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because you definitely see the warning signs, but then there's some things that sort of call it to question. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of other movies would have kind of tipped their hand a lot sooner of like the way it's going to play out. But like the fact that they, they really delve into like what his personality is and why he's feeling uncomfortable and like what all that background baggage is. Like, I think that's the reason why the movie works so much is like you get to know him as a character and it's not the scenario. It's why are like that background of the context of why are you feeling a certain way because of like all this shit that you've been through. And it's like, you understand why you would feel uncomfortable being in that scenario. Yeah, so I'm not sure what that says about me, like picking these two movies like that are just like deeply rooted in trauma and like, and like paranoia. I don't think either movie like necessarily like stuck the landing at all, but like I just thought like a lot of like the like the moments themselves like accumulated and there's some really memorable I, moments. I thought the la- like the third act of the movie was kind of like, eh, it's fine. But then like the last kind of scene of the movie was like, I fucking loved it. Oh. And I won't reveal it too much, but like that last like moment I thought was great. Like the last 10 seconds? The last 10 okay. seconds, yeah. Well, I saw this and now I'm questioning what it was. Oh. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have a good memory when it comes to this kind of detail. Well, now I'm definitely going to watch this because this is the one of yours that I didn't see. Uh, oh, shit. My turn. Um, uh, oh, sorry. So for my second movie, I picked uh, Six Days, which is kind of like a true event type thing uh, in, the, in the vein of Munich. I don't remember if you guys... I don't know if you guys have seen that Eric Bana. Yeah, yeah. So basically it's about uh, the Iranian embassy, I think, in London that uh, gets taken over by terrorists uh, in, like, 1980s-ish. And it's just about uh, the events of those six days. Um, And it's a very... um, (laughs) Compared to every other movie that we've talked about so far, it's a very very straight, uh, straight shooter. It's, it's very similar to most things that, like, we see before. It's not very unique. Like, your John Wicks, your Taken sort uh, of thing, or, like... Not quite. It's not, okay. like, a straight-up action movie. It's not, like, 13 Hours in Benghazi. <laughs> oh, or the, oh, okay. The, the Secret Soldier of Benghazi, where it's, like, they're telling the story, but it's, like, it's a Michael Bay action film at the same time. <laughs> it's, like, I, I think uh, why I liked it is because there was more character than I'm used to in these types of movies. And there were, there were a few, like, really good moments that I haven't seen in these type of movies, which I really did like. And at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm the, I'm the moviegoer that watches like these dumb, like, uh, simple movies. You don't, you just watch in the theaters, big releases. So I think it was like a kind of a middle ground for me because it's not a wide release, but it's also like, uh, it's in that same, uh, I don't know that same it's not, spirit. It's not quite a, a blockbuster, but it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, 
It maybe it would, maybe it was like a British blockbuster. <laughs> I, probably not. Okay, it's well. your mis, mid-sized sedan. Of yeah, yeah. yeah, it's good for everyone. It had it, and it well, had well, like well. a recognizable British actor that you've seen before. I don't know if that makes sense. I do love seeing Billy Elliot in the SAS. Billy Elliot? That was Billy, Billy Elliot. Which one? No, wait. Um, Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell is Billy. He Elliot. He was Billy Elliot. Yes. Serious? What <laughs> yeah. the fuck? What? He's Billy <laughs> Elliot. I had okay. I, I guess it's been a while. It, well, yeah. I think like this role is pretty normal for the actor he is today, but when you go back and see that he's Billy Elliot, yeah, yeah. it's like, he, kind of funny. He's traded in his ballet shoes for a, <laughs> for an MP5 mask. mask. Uh, I will say the scenes with Jamie Bell and like this soundtrack for those scenes was great, and it's like it was minimal, but it set the mood so well that like I, I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't crazy about this movie, <laughs> but the scene like those scenes with those characters I thought was really well done. Yeah, and also uh, another thing, uh, a side note, um, the tent. I felt like it was more tense. Like you could actually feel tension in this one compared to like these based on true events movies that you know it, what's going to happen. Maybe it's because I didn't know what happened. Like in the real, <laughs> I maybe that's probably a big part of it. But at the same time, like the way that it played out, um, they they didn't really give much away. It wasn't predictable. The, so ah. the one thing I really like, <laughs> yeah, you, the one thing I really liked about this movie was. You tend to see these movies either from the perspective of the soldier or the hostage negotiator. And they did a really good job of balancing, like, you sympathize for both sides of, like, it could be the right thing to go in and, like, do by force, or it could be the right thing to yeah, yeah. negotiate it through it words. That, like, struggle. And it's like, it it doesn't end the movie saying, this is the one right way or this is the wrong, wrong way. It's like, eh, these are people and they both have their own like, perspective and it could have yeah. been right or wrong. Again, nothing like you haven't seen before, but I think it was... It was it was unique enough for me to to enjoy and select this for our uh, strange movie night. <laughs> I like it. And for all the Asians listening, uh, <laughs> Michelle Krisiak of The Invitation, not in any other other movies. Oh, like Hawaii, oh. Hawaii Five O, and uh, What Happens in Vegas. I've that's, seen this that's picture. It. This is the one that we thought might have been Knives Chow. No, no, but no, it was not her. Just in every movie in the last couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> she's in The Invitation. Uh, anyway, so it's, it's good. my last it's movie that I picked was called Good Time, uh, and it stars Robert Pattinson. Uh, and the basic premise of the movie is Robert Pattinson and his brother, who I think is autistic. I don't know the exact term for it, but uh, him and his brother go on kind of a, a bank robbery. And his brother, who, you know, very vulnerable situation, uh, gets caught and goes to jail and, you know, being autistic does not do a very good job of like relating to people and kind of gets the shit beaten out of him in prison so the basic premise premise of the movie is uh robert pattison has an evening to try to come up with the bail money to get his brother out of jail to make sure that he doesn't get killed while he's there um very reminiscent of uh, fuck what's that movie i had this uh darren cool. aronofsky movie with jared leto dallas bars aronofsky and jared leto uh, Requiem for a Dream. Oh, there, yeah, yeah, Anyway, yeah, yeah. Oh, so gosh. basically in the fact that it does not end well for any of the characters, and all <laughs> the characters are terrible people, and I love that. And I'm <laughs> sick of movies having characters that are good people, that have good intentions, and basically every single character in this movie is terrible, and the only characters that have any redeemable qualities are just shit on throughout the movie. <laughs> uh, but some of the reason why I want to talk about this movie is Robert Pattinson. And I think Robert Pattinson has gotten to the point where if he's in a movie, I want to watch it because 
he picks nothing but good movies lately, which is really odd for the, you know, the you know, good-looking vampire from the Twilight movies. Uh, but The Rover and uh, Cosmopolis, and he is picking nothing but good movies lately. I feel like there's something that about you and, like, Twilight actors. <laughs> I said the same thing about Kristen Stewart, and honestly, I think the same thing. Yeah, we had a fight she, about this in our first episode. She is picking good movies, and so is Robert Pattinson. And I think, like, this is a really good artistic movie from Robert Pattinson, and he's picking good dramatic roles of good complex characters. And it's it's a phenomenal movie just in terms of people who are not played the way that you think that their character would be. And, like, so an example of this would be there's a, a point in the middle of the movie where Robert Pattinson is on the run from the law. He's kind of hiding in the house of this, like, 15-year-old girl. And then the news of him coming on the TV of being an escaped convict comes on. So he starts making out with the girl. That was fucked. He's like, that he was, was really <laughs> fucking, <laughs> fucking through for a So bit. fucking weird. That was, like, like, a like, I've never... I'm at that age, like, I don't... My jaw doesn't usually drop by makeout scenes. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I was super uncomfortable. Totally yeah, want to sure, watch yeah. this movie now. Definitely <laughs> uncomfortable. But he's like a 30-year-old guy making out with like a 15-year-old just because he doesn't want to get caught because he's on the run from the law like from robbing banks. I feel like a safe movie to make in this I story. did feel like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie made me feel like uh, like when like you're a kid watching like TMN on demand and you know like a movie you shouldn't be watching <laughs> and you are. That is exactly what I felt like during that scene and for like for most of the movie. Interesting. Um, you said it was comparable to what movie did you Requiem say? for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. Have you ever heard of uh, After Hours? You remember that Scorsese movie where it's like the yes. guy's in New York, he just can't make it home. Yeah. And that's where like I felt like this guy was just, whether you root for him or not, like he just, no matter what, the harder you tried, things just, it got worse yeah. and worse and he worse. He consistently gives you a reason to not cheer for him. And then like any, again, anytime a good person shows up, the movie just shits on them. And it's like, don't, but then at the same time it says you know if you're a good person you're going to get shit on but then it's like all the people who are shitty people it does not end well for them at all so it's no like matter who you are it's yeah. not going to work out for you it's just like life is shitty people <laughs> are assholes and it's like i love movies like that okay so the one question i have for you is as someone who would have to be sold to watch this movie uh i i i like the the whole like everyone sucks and i i'll watch that but there's like a, a threshold of where Everyone sucks too much that I just can't. I don't like it. Like there's a, a there's a Netflix series series that uh, I think it was created by Keegan uh, Keegan Michael Key. Is that his name? What's the College Friends one? I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like he's him and this girl. Like he's cheating with his, his college friend, but he's also married to another college friend. They're trying to have a baby. Mm. Kobe Smulders is his wife or something like that. I don't know if that everyone's was, a bastard. Though. Pretty much, yeah. These are, like all regular people, but like you hate everyone in this series. And like I tried to watch it because uh, Faye was watching, my girlfriend was watching it, and I I couldn't. I just really didn't like it because I didn't I, yeah, like I, anyone in the show. I feel like there's a big difference between like morally bankrupt characters and like just like dumb. Like why are you making yeah. this dis- <laughs> fucking decision, and characters? This, and this, so it's this not that. that. It's oh, not like you're. It's not like you're watching the affair on Showcase, where you're just like everyone. I, I think like, the one redeemable <laughs> quality of this movie is Robert Pattinson is trying to save his brother. Okay. So the things that he is trying to do, it's I'm my my brother is autistic. He's in jail. He's getting the shit beaten out of him, and I'm trying to help him. Okay. They establish the stakes early enough, and yeah. it sticks with you. Okay. Gonna have a hot take. I don't even think the autistic brother is like all that likable in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> he's not. 
Just gonna just gonna put that out there. Leave him there. But uh, <laughs> is uh, is like Robin, like is Pattinson kind of like the the Timberlake of the movie, like the movie world. Like I feel like it was very uncool <laughs> to like Justin Timberlake, else. and then he started making some pretty good music. Like I feel like Pattinson is kind of getting there. Um, I, again, I don't know yeah, if you guys have seen like The Rover. The Rover, he's awesome in The Rover. He's yeah. awesome in The Rover, which is a phenomenal movie, and you should watch it. But like again, like he's. For someone who hit such fame doing Twilight, he could have made big money doing a lot of other stuff, and he is choosing the the route of doing good artistic movies. And so that. I respect yeah. him for that. Even if not every movie is amazing, I respect him for going in that direction. Same as Kristen Stewart. Someone has to pass that memo on to Taylor Lautner. Yeah. <laughs> like ridiculous six after. That, oh, fair. That is a burn. Like, yeah. That is Daniel a... Radcliffe doing the stage after Harry Potter. He could have done anything. Yeah, but instead, yeah, he learned how to dance and uh, sing. He, he did Swiss Army Man, so I give him big props for that. I've not seen Swiss Army Man. Yes, oh, it's yeah. phenomenal. It also, Paulo, if you like synthesizers, this movie is for you. Which one? <laughs> Good time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can tell that from the trailer. Yeah. It does have a real, like, trippy feel to it, which I think it's is like watching really Tron, cool. the soundtrack. <laughs> Um, okay, so we'll end it off there. I'm going to add a Twitter poll to at hwhapodcast.com of which movie you are most looking forward to. But I really hope, like, if you are audience, and I know there's, like, five of you listening to this, but I hope some <laughs> 18, of you have... 18. Uh, we have 18 subscribers. Not okay. all of them are listening. Uh, but I hope somebody has gotten some type of recommendation out of this that actually, you know, led to a movie they liked watching. So... I'm gonna lead to a. I'm gonna post a poll of like, what movie did you actually want to watch coming out of this, or which one did you really like? You know, vote for whatever you want. Um, so we'll leave that there. Uh, so ending off this segment, we're gonna pass it to Paulo uh, because Cam's already done an audio segment on our podcast. Yes. So Paulo has his chance to do an audio segment. Paulo, what do you have? Oh for my us? god, you guys have no idea. This was so hard to choose. I had so many after eight episodes. I had so many audio clips. What could have been? Uh, I settled on my. Fr- I, I took my first instinct and I settled on an audio clip from The Fifth Element uh, from one of the characters that everyone hates. Um, and uh, if you've never seen the movie, you will have no idea what's going on, and I want that. Like, I, I, I hope that you don't. Uh, but watch the movie so you do get it, and then it'll be funny after. Uh, so take it away, uh, Carson. Mr. Ruby Rod is the biggest we're here starting out. It's a great honor to be on this talk show. He's so green. Yes, I'm sure you're very excited, but I'm on my vacation. I don't want to be bothered. I prefer to remain anonymous. This boy is fueled like fire. So start melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot, hot, hot. Not really. Freeze those 
what you need, cause Kirby's in the place and he's on the case. And yesterday's frog will be tomorrow's prince of Frostan Paradise. A hotel of a thousand and one follies, lollies, and lick'em lollies. A magic fountain floor with non-stop wine, women, and all night long. Yeah, uh, shout out to my brother who had an actual uh, Mila Jovovich HTML fan <laughs> site when he was like 14. Oh yeah, my God. That, uh, I think that was brought up at his wedding this summer. So because of that movie? Oh, that's good. Yeah, for sure. What else was she in? Resident Evil was like Resident five years later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. sorry, yeah. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> All right, and uh, moving right along into our uh, next, our piece de resistance segment. Uh, is our Oscar movie pitches. So um, what you at home don't know is that over the last week, I gave our guests and our host extraordinaire um, a list of movies that are shit. And I gave them a criteria for each of these movies. And what they had to do was turn these shit movies into an Oscar winning masterpiece. So um, do you guys, would you want me to... uh, Tell the tell the world about what your movies and your criteria are, or do you want to just take it away? Does that know which? Yeah, let's just let us explain on our own. All right, um, let's start with. I'm most curious about Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I would have let you go last, but I was real. I really, really want to know what you did because the movie I wouldn't have never picked if I were you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, how much time you got? Um. Seven minutes. Seven minutes? Okay. Because I feel like my reviews are pretty wishy-washy, but I'm coming for the Oscar here. So, <laughs> um, so do you want to explain what I did? What you want to tell me what movie I picked? Or I could um, I, sure. Okay. Well, what? No, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> so I did the, uh, the weird, like, fucking after-school special that Kevin Durant did called Thunderstruck, which is kind of like a playoff on Like Mike, like incredibly... <laughs> Yep. Like that. It's kind of like a Freaky Friday type scenario. Oh, like good. Yeah, yeah. The talent of a boy gets switched with, um, you know, an NBA player. Uh, in this case, Kevin Durant, while he's still in the Thunder. Um, <laughs> it's probably why he left. So I really wanted to, like, like, just stretch this movie to the extreme and have Kevin Durant, like, really, like, people know he's part of the process, like, the creative process. And it's, like, really a reflection of his whole life. <laughs> Also, if you don't, if you're not a basketball fan, you're gonna hate this. <laughs> so, just like, like all of the Oscar so like film voters. film critics and like yeah. thoughtful sports columnists are gonna be like, holy shit, this was like an, a window in, like into this guy's soul. Like this is incredible. I can't believe he actually took this creative liberty. <laughs> he put it all out there, and like he also um, he's gonna take a year off of basketball like as well oh, to wow. film this movie like in his prime. So that's gotta count for something. Okay, just um, sorry, just to throw it in there, um, the criteria that I gave your movie was that you had to use Kevin Durant as your star. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's probably clear by Oh, now, super. But... I didn't know that, but I still did it. Oh, okay, <laughs> good. I'm glad. We're so I'm just going page. by, I have like a little chart, so I'm just going to go by the template. So the movie name is going to be, um, I thought I was going to make it Cupcake, but I thought that was too much. 
So did um. There's there's a backstory to that yeah. for sports fans. So the movie name is 100 West Reno Avenue, which is the name of the Thunder's. Um, it's like the 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 address of uh, the Chesapeake Arena. Artsy. So I think it's pretty like, it's like vague, it's artsy. Uh, it's a remake, obviously, of Thunderstruck. Uh, when I picked the director, I was like, I want the guy who did uh, the remake of Rocky, but also the guy who did, uh, what's it, um, Fruitvale Station. I'm like, uh, which one do I pick? And I'm like, oh, fuck, it's the same guy. That's perfect. It's Fruitvale Station. So that's uh, Ryan Coogler. So Ryan Coogler is basically going to kidnap Kevin Durant and like lock him in like a Hollywood Hills. They're going to write it together. They're going to figure it all out. And it's just, and like people are just going to be writing essays about this movie for, for a long time. Um, protagonist is uh, Kevin Durant. So he's playing himself naturally, but I do think the real star of this movie is the city of Oklahoma so, or city of Oklahoma city. So that is also playing itself. Um, the antagonist, I don't know if there really is one because it's a very like open-ended movie, but it's, um, Warriors. it's going to be, the actor is uh, Michael B. Jordan, of course, because that's <laughs> Coogler. Fruitvale Station. And he's playing, uh, he's playing Drew Cramwell. Drew Cramwell. Um, Did you make that name up? Yeah. Uh, sign <laughs> character number one is going to be uh, Coach Scott Brooks when he was coaching there. Who's playing him? Uh, Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he's like a solid, just like really like a utility sports. I actor. see like draft day. Uh, yeah, uh, Kevin's mom. I feel like if you know Kevin Durant, like his mom plays a pretty pretty big part in his life. Um, Queen Latifah. No, a little low hanging fruit with uh, Viola Davis. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so I guess I should get to the plot. So basically, um, it's an alternate universe where the Thunder actually passed on Russell Westbrook and they took OJ Mayo instead. So <laughs> OJ Mayo's been cut. It's basically Kevin Durant is on his own, just trying to make things work in Oklahoma City. Um, the movie opens with uh, he gets news on his phone that uh, James Harden has been traded to the Rockets. So he's obviously very, you know, he's. He's upset that his best friend has been traded to, to a rival team. Um, so he basically, he lets his dogs out in the backyard. He goes out to clear his head. He's got his own, like, basketball net. And a lot like, um, you know, There Will Be Blood, where you just watch a guy prospect for gold for 15 minutes and nothing fucking happens. It's just, like, no music, anything. Like, you're just going to watch Kevin Durant shoot hoops and, like, practice for 15 minutes. <laughs> to, the point, to the point where, like, you're uncomfortable... <laughs> Everyone else doesn't know what's going on. And that's kind of the, what I'm going for. Just like, a, like I want to see the craft of basketball for those first Interesting. Um, so yeah, the conflict or problem. So obviously Kevin Durant, he's on a shitty team. Um, like the movie, like he's giving away his supernatural talent of like his basketball skills. But in this movie, it's like his knowledge, like his skills of the game. He wants to give that to someone, but he's got no one to give it to. No one really, really reacts well to what he's putting out there. So he's frustrated. He doesn't know what he wants to do with his career. Um, so it opens with him in Italy and, or sorry, the conflict, I guess, opens with him in Italy. He's there for a Nike, like hoop summit. He's just like there with Nike. He's walking around Italy. It's kind of like lost in translation. He's just figuring out what to do. And he sees this young guy playing basketball just in like a random, a random gym. And he's like, this guy can really ball. Like this guy's awesome. <laughs> so he's like, who is this guy? It turns out he's some Juco player that never had the marks. Like he's just like a real, like. Loose cannon, he's fought with coaches, like he's fought with like ex-girlfriends, he's just like a real like troubled guy. He's a head case. But man, can he ball? <laughs> so he's like, you know what? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'm bringing this guy back to the States, like he can live in my, my place, like in Malibu or whatever, and I'm just gonna teach him how to play basketball. <laughs> and against all odds, 
he's fucking like a really good basketball player. Him and Kevin Durant become like best friends. And um, he gets an, a tryout to the Thunder. And then from there, you know, they kind of like, they develop this friendship. And it becomes like a very apparent, like throughout the movie that this is just Russell Westbrook. And this whole movie <laughs> is just like a love letter to Russell Westbrook. <laughs> it's like, you came in here, you were super raw. I didn't know what you were about. You had the worst temper. But I showed you like how to play team basketball, how to make this work. And, uh, and like any movie where it's like, you know, big egos and they're, they're kind of like, they're, uh, they're, they're sharing the limelight. Um, it gets where the, they're both too big for the bridges and they end up hating each other. They don't know who gets the last shot. They fight during practice. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Uh, I should probably wrap up here. So basically... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so this unknown Italian kid played by Michael B. Jordan gets a little bit too big for his bridges. He ends up going to another... Or, sorry, he kind of forces Kevin out. Kevin's like, you know what? I gave you all these gifts and you kind of treat me like shit. So I'm going to the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> So, um, what else we got here? Climax. So the climax is obviously when the 2017 NBA finals happen, where <laughs> Kevin Durant wins the MVP award. Um, the falling action, I actually had to Google what that is. So, not that <laughs> um, so Kevin's like pretty drunk playing NBA 2K after he's won the championship. And then he also sees that Russell Westbrook is playing video games as well. And like, he's like, do I message him? Do I not? So he decides not to. Uh, the ending, um, it's the twilight of the careers for Kevin and Michael B. Jordan's character, Drew Cramwell. Um, they're in some like nondescript European country playing in the Olympics. It's like 2018 or 2020, 2028, I guess we could say. Okay. Um, <laughs> playing in the Olympics? They're playing in the Olympics. They're both just like savvy vets on like oh, okay. the Team USA. And, okay. uh, so... Basically, Kevin Costner is, is the team coach for the Team USA. He's drawing up a play. He's looking at Kevin. He's looking at Drew Cramwell. He's like, you guys need to like execute this play. We need to beat Spain. <laughs> so accurate, it's like, accurate. So it's like Kevin dribbles it out. He's got the ball. He swings it to someone else who gets it to Drew. And then like the, the play's working amazingly. Uh, they throw an alley-oop. Kevin catches it. And then it just, like, just, just fades, fades to black. <laughs> Face the black, you don't know what happens, but then you hear like a slam dunk okay. sound effect, and uh, crowd crowd just fucking roars. And right. um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, there's a bunch of bonus categories in here, like what the themes are. I don't know if you want. We'll uh, we'll go into that as a like, sure. a Perfect. group thing after everyone's done their pitch. I think. Sorry. If if everyone wants that time, I'll see myself out. <laughs> a, lot, a lot to take in. The only problem I have right now that I'll say is uh, in 2028, I think they'll be playing Lithuania instead of Spain. That's my fault, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Spain was the Cinderella story of 2028. And made it to the finals. That's a different movie. All right. I really want to see that movie. <laughs> I Yeah, as a sports fan. Sorry. Judge is uh, I, not biased. Um, we're going to go uh, to Carson next. Let's uh, hear your pitch. Sure. Buddy boy. Uh, so my movie is called The Mall Cop, and it stars uh, Kevin James. It has to star Kevin James. This is required. <laughs> that is the criteria. Uh, and it's going to be directed by Todd Phillips, who directed The Hangover, uh, The Hangover Trilogy, uh, known for both his comedy and kind of his dark humor style. So the movie opens up on, we are, uh, you know, it's Kevin James's, he's getting ready for work. We're, we're going around his apartment. Uh, we're seeing he has these pictures, like he's shaking hands with the mayor of New York. We're seeing all these accolades of him being uh, a, kind of a, 
award-winning uh, NYPD cop, you know, very successful. We see him get in his car on his way to work and we see him drive up to the mall and he's a mall cop all of a sudden. And we're, we're kind of starting off on that question of, you know, here's a guy who's a very good cop. Why is he a mall cop? Uh, and we're starting to be introduced to kind of his regular, you know, people he's interacting with. Uh, and this is why Kevin James is required for this movie. And he's acting like an idiot for the first half hour of the movie. Total dumbass. You're like, this guy, you know, how is he a successful cop? But, you know, he's he's kind of lovable. He's kind of an idiot. You know, he's interacting with these people who are at the mall. Um, we're also introduced who his daughter who... Uh, works at the mall we find out that she's going to a university nearby and she's working in a mall store to kind of you know pay tuition kind of get by um the the kind of tension kicks off when one of his old nypd cops kind of visits him at the mall played by adam sandler this is optional this is not a requirement for <laughs> me but i chose adam sandler no, for this choice. role that's a fair choice. um and we see you know adam sandler comes in and he's you know Kevin James is doing kind of these stupid shenanigans at the mall with the, you know, the mall vendors and the, the people who are at the stores and whatnot. And they're kind of acting like idiots. Um, and we have some, some scenes where uh, he's kind of interacting with his daughter. He's kind of, kind of a little nervous about why Adam Sandler is showing up from his previous life. Uh, but it's kind of, kind of some fun shenanigans to start off kind of the movie uh, and what we're interacting with. Um, we also have some other mall cops played by Brendan Gleeson, who's kind of like the old savvy uh, veteran mall cop. And we have Paul Dano, who's kind of the, uh, the, the younger mall cop. You know, really doesn't, like doesn't know what he's doing too much. Um, and his daughter is played by Serchi Ronan. Oh! Uh, we're getting some really good actors into this movie here, all right? Naturally. Um, I mean, if you can't win Kevin James. It's the goddamn budget for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Who else could play Kevin James' daughter? All right, so so we're getting into these scenarios where, you know, somebody's shoplifting at Serchi's Ronin's shop, so Kevin James has to come talk to her. We see some scenes with her where a bit of their relationship is going. She doesn't like him very much, uh, and it's kind of revealed that she chose to came out here to, we're going to say that this mall is in Minnesota. Uh, they came out to Minnesota. You know, she's going to school here. He kind of followed her over. Uh, Adam Sandler's character is starting to get a bit of a creepy, a bit of a weird. And what we find out later into the movie is that um, these two, Adam Sandler and Kevin James, when they were on the MP NYPD, is they took some bribes together. They weren't the great cops. You know, they, they kind of had that good image of being good cops, but they took bribes. They were doing like working with the mafia bit thing. Uh, they had some money. And what we find out as the movie goes on is kind of the reason why... Uh, Sarah Chi Ronan moved out here is she found out that her dot her dad was uh, kind of participating in this bribery he actually had got her a scholarship to Harvard but she was like no I don't want to participate in this dirty money I'm gonna move far away and then later on Kevin James moves out and he's like you know I'm gonna I want to mend things with my daughter and so on um this relationship with Adam Sandler also like it started kind of like fun loving he's into shenanigans but as we see he's kind of being like we're getting a Serpico type feel of like, he's like, hey, you you ran away from us. We were all taking bribes and like, we want to make sure that you're not ratting. And like, he's kind of throwing out those like, hey, we might have to deal with you type thing uh, if you're not playing ball. Wait, but, his daughter? No, no, with Kevin James. Oh, sorry. So he's like, oh. you know, like, he's kind of joking that like, you know, remember Serpico. judge, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it kind of progresses that, 
you know, Adam Sandler is not that great of a guy. He's kind of coming here into Kevin James's life, not as kind of a, oh, this is an incidental uh, meeting, but I really want to make sure that you're a cool guy and you're not going to rat on us and we're all going to go to jail. He kind of is worried that Kevin James is in witness protection and he's moved out here to Minnesota to kind of get away while they're going through a trial. Um, and so that tension kind of builds up. And so we're going really back and forth between Kevin James being this fun, lovable, innocent guy and him being like, a totally bad dude who's really, you know, does not, you know, deserve any love or affection from anyone because he's really participating in some bad shit. Um, so what happens is Adam Sandler's character reveals later on that he's going to be in a scenario where uh, he's actually going into witness protection. He came here to make sure that Kevin James wasn't going into witness protection. And so he's actually going to give up Kevin James and all their other friends because Adam or Adam Sandler's kind of a douchebag. Um, and so Kevin James seeing this scenario between, you know, you're going to give up to my daughter and reveal to the world that I'm kind of a shitty police officer. And we get this real dramatic scene where Kevin James kills Adam Sandler. And much like you were saying before, where we have this 15 minute elongated scene with Kevin Durant (laughs) shooting basketball, we're going to get this 10 minute still shot scene of Kevin James murdering Adam Sandler and just sitting there being like, like, this just fucking happened. Like, this guy that we thought was a lovable idiot, he just murdered somebody. I see a lot of pratfalls in this. And we're going to see his face go from, you know, I, I've just murdered someone to being calm to immediately. And you see the shenanigans early in the movie. And he's going to go, this is going to single shot the entire time, close up on his face. He's going to go from, oh, shit, I just murdered someone to I'm going to deal with it to I'm in shenanigans again. So... You know, like, you can see that this fun-loving idiot persona that he's put on this entire time, it's completely fake. This is a bad dude. Um, And then, so later on in the movie, after these kind of shenanigans have gone back, Paul Dano, he kind of walks into the scene and he's seeing, you know, know, he finds Adam Sandler's body. And it's like, oh shit, who murdered him? He kind of figures out it is Kevin James. And we have the standoff between the two characters. And then, you know, Kevin James being you know, the total badass that he is, uh, overpowers Paul Dano and kills him. But just then, Sergei Ronan walks in and being like, she just saw her dad kill somebody. And it's like, what are you going to (laughs) do? You know, and he's thinking, you know, he's got to find a way to make it look like, you know, Paul Dano was the bad guy. He did it as a good thing. So we see him kind of win over. He's kind of manipulating that situation of like, he's the lovable idiot. He couldn't have just killed someone. It had to be for a good reason. Uh, And just when we see that happening, and just when we see her about to win over Sergei Ronan, Brendan Gleeson comes in. And Kevin James is like, oh, you know, I'm about to explain this. And Brendan Gleeson blows his fucking head off. (laughs) And we see in the middle of the frame, Kevin James, head exploded. Sergei Ronan in the background screams, cut to black, credits, done. (laughs) That's my movie. I feel feel like an (laughs) alley-oop. Really <laughs> is okay. as dramatic. Um, we'll get to those points later. We're going to Cam, who looks very, who looks terrified right now. I'm, I'm first curious. Is this Kevin James and Adam Sandler playing Kevin James and Adam Sandler, <laughs> and not as they're usually? So my inspiration or... for that movie was um, Kevin James's old life as a police officer represents his uh, life as a previous actor who would sell out for money 
to make shitty movies all the time, and Adam Sandler represents shitty movies all the time. Yeah, just, just the constant. Yeah. Does it's a very self-aware. So okay. it's it's kind of two does, two very self-aware movies. Yeah, <laughs> back to back. This this movie married JCVD, where it uh, JCVD you know he's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But he becomes self-aware and he's like, I'm going to become a good actor now. But he's not. He's a, still a shitty person. He's just trying to sell it for money. JCBD? No, no. Watch out for that Kevin James. Oh. <laughs> fucking snake. Pure <laughs> I think everyone... What about, what about Kevin Can Wait? That's a tremendous deal. That's, is that still uh, on air? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> still going strong. The fucking Good Doctor is the number one... TV show in America right now. Oh, that's so. the Bates Motel kid, right? No, that's... It's probably why our podcast is about movies and not TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, we, I digress. Cam. All right, so I took on That's My Boy, the David Casp uh, Raspberry Award-winning film. <laughs> um, he made Happy Endings, which was actually like a really good show, but uh, this kind of fell flat. In any case, my reimagining is going to be directed by Sam Mendes. Um, you'll know him from two of the most, or more recent James, uh, James Bond movies. I think he did Skyfall and Spectre. Okay. He also did American Beauty and Revolutionary Road, uh, which is a little more the direction this one's headed. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> so it's a reimagining of That's My Boy. The Oscar version of it is just going to be called My Boy, um, because we're not as formal. <laughs> it's uh, the Oscar winning name exactly you have to go in with a, a whole package okay. uh, speaking of which um, the main character who well or one of the main characters who would have been played by Adam Sandler is going to be uh, portrayed by Michael Shannon Oh. Uh, so for the sake of explaining this in a way that is easy to follow I'm just going to use the actual actor's first names so Michael Shannon is going to be playing Michael <laughs> Um, and as a young Old boy, choice. that's too confusing. Right? <laughs> See, already we're off the rails. Um, Ma- Michael is basically starting off as like a shitty kid at school. He doesn't do his homework. He thinks he's too cool for everything. Doesn't listen to anybody. His teacher kind of tries to put him in his place. His teacher is going to be played by Jessica Lang. I'm not sure if you're familiar. She was in, uh, she, she's fantastic. She's, uh, in a lot of those American horror story uh, shows. Oh. In any case, she takes this Michael Shannon child who, as Michael Shannon, has a lot of anger in him, and she reaches out to him on a field trip when he's a little bit vulnerable. He's, he's alone. She uh, reaches out to him in a way that starts off appropriate, but very quickly becomes inappropriate. <laughs> um, they start... What begins as a romantic relationship between teacher and uh, prepubescent boy, and it very quickly becomes sexual. Um, that kind of continues for a while. It builds Michael Shannon's confidence as a, a prepubescent boy who's boning his teacher. <laughs> and uh, eventually he becomes one of the most popular kids in school, and uh, it gets to the point where he's so brazen in his boning of his teacher, he does it in front of everybody. Of course. Uh, well, it's purpose. actually... It's, he it's, does it on purpose. He's not, not, he's not doing it in front of everyone on purpose. He's just like, he doesn't care. He's so involved oh, okay, in his okay. own kind of groove that he's just doing him. And during a parent-teacher <laughs> interview, uh, they catch him doing her. Yes. <laughs> so basically what happens is she goes to jail as... Wanted to happen. These heights, uh, 
types of situations and he is left with the child. So that's kind of like to set it up. Michael Shannon has the child between himself and his sixth grade teacher. From this, he kind of gains all sorts of notoriety as the kid who phoned his teacher. He gets television deals. He gets all sorts of interviews, all sorts of sponsorships. Everyone thinks this kid is the shit. And uh, basically, while working on one of his shows with Tom Hanks, uh, who in the original movie, Vanilla Ice played Vanilla Ice. In this movie, Tom Hanks is going to play Tom Hanks. (laughs) We're classing it up. This is an Oscar contender. So he's... uh, Michael Shannon is caught up in the celebrity life of a child actor working on a show with Tom Hanks who has a child from a teacher's marriage or teacher's relationship rather. Uh, Basically Tom goes through teaching Michael Shannon how to be a dad. He teaches him basically just, you know, you have to be responsible, you have to look after your child and we have a bit of a montage where we notice Michael Shannon's growing as a person at the guidance of Tom Hanks. Things are going extremely well until Jessica Lange the teacher releases a tell-all book detailing the intricacies of their relationship. That bitch. Right? (laughs) So she pretty well blows up his spotlight, gets everybody against him. He loses all of his sponsorship deals. He loses all of his investments, all of his shows. This drives a wedge between him and Tom Hanks. uh, Michael Shannon then goes into kind of a spiraling depression. It's going to... And then this is where... His son, who at this point is going to be played by, you know that kid from It, who was kind of in like a weird, like, uh, the kid with the mother who was super protective. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's going to be playing. Yeah, so he's going, to, he's going to be playing Michael Shannon's kid. So Michael oh, Shannon has lost all of his investments at this point. Uh, pretty well, things are not going well for him. And what he does is, in an effort to reclaim his fame, tries to get his son's teacher to have sex with his son. Oh my God. So he goes to this kind of like, I couldn't give my son this life that I had. So I'm going to do what I can to, after the fact, give him the same fame, the same notoriety, (laughs) the same privilege that was given by me having sex with my teacher. So he goes to his son's teacher, who is going to be played by Glenn Close. (laughs) And he tries to convince her to start a relationship with his son to almost re-spark his fame in almost like a reboot sort of way. Oh my god. (laughs) Needless to say, Tom Hanks is not down for this. (laughs) Tom Hanks catches wind and he actually teaches uh, Michael Shannon's son about emancipation. He teaches him, you can just go live your own life. So essentially, everybody leaves Michael Shannon because, I mean, obviously he tried to facilitate the molestation of his kid. <laughs> uh, this is very bold in today's climate. It is. It is. It, it, we're, we're really saying something here. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> no we, have no, we have no part in this. <laughs> Time passes. Um, the kid from It turns into Jared Leto, who is about to get married. How long is this movie? <laughs> this is... Uh, no, in That's My Boy, they really focus on the adult phase. Yeah. This is going to focus on like the him as a child so being like, raised by... Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Being raised by the uh, drug-addled Michael Shannon. (laughs) So, after years of not talking to his father, post-emancipation, he invites him to his wedding, to Brie Larson. Because he thinks, okay, you know, 
at the advice of his wife, I'll rekindle things with my father. I'll invite him in. It'll be fantastic. We'll, we'll be a real family again. Michael Shannon shows up and thinks he notices some like weird eye motions between uh, Brie Larson and her brother, played by Jeremy Renner. <laughs> and basically in the middle of the ceremony... Michael Shannon tries to stop everything, and he says, they're incestors. They're incestors. Oh my God. He says, you cannot marry this woman. Unfortunately, at this point, Michael Shannon has no credibility from being a drug addict for years, from, you know, and trying to, uh, trying to yeah, yeah, get his kid molested. <laughs> no one believes him. So they say, scram, get out of here. He gets out of there. He goes on to live his own life. And uh, Jared Leto marries Brie Larson. But it turns out, that Brie Larson was actually having an affair with her brother Jeremy Renner. Oh, not Brie Larson. Right? But it's, it's, it's just kind of like in the innuendo of it. So it's not explicitly said, but like... This in is, the end, he was right. This is just stealing the graduate uh, plot lines. <laughs> well, technically, this is stealing the That's My Boy plot line. Well, which, which was my, my, which my was challenge. Criteria. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, so, I mean, shit. I'm going to give you guys two guys, uh, two guys, give you guys two minutes to uh, share your thoughts on each other's pitches, because uh, I need to deliberate. Um, but I'm going to be, I, I'm going to tell you guys now, I'm going to be handing out Oscars like candy. So, <laughs> bless you. Sorry. And go. How similar was your pitch to That's My Boy? Because... I haven't seen That's My Boy. That's a great question, yeah. Um, okay, so pretty well verbatim, except for in the end they don't get married in the original That's My Boy. Uh, in the original That's My Boy, Adam Sandler brings to light the incest uh, spoiler. But he was trying to hook up his son. Oh, with... no, no. Actually, oh. sorry, I should, I should clarify that. No, at no point in That's My Boy does Adam Sandler try to get his boy fucked. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine... Although Michael's... I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, but that it's... Really... Yeah, yeah. That's I'm trying of... to imagine Michael Shannon as a prepubescent boy because I can only see him as 40-year-old man. And see, that's why I didn't give Michael Shannon a different child character because I think <laughs> if we just, like, de-age his face and put it on a child, it would be very effective. I feel like when Michael Shannon was 14 he still looked like a 40 year old exactly. like i can't imagine him as a younger he had person those severe tired eyes <laughs> as long as he's been active yeah yeah best freak out actor in the game exactly I yeah. exactly i feel like michael shannon would actually murder someone like i feel, <laughs> I like, feel like he like has in real life he he's has not to already be like, yeah. like he's an actual psycho like, mm -hmm. And that's why it's hard to imagine him as a prepubescent boy, because he's like, he there's method? no innocence Is he whatsoever. a method actor? Yeah, he, he's not even a good actor. He's just a real-life I think he's a good actor. <laughs> I think he's a good actor. No, I do. I, know, I, know. I, I once saw like an interview with people who are friends of him, and they were like, he's an actual psycho in real life. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is I don't know how fact. accurate that is. It was just like some YouTube podcast, but like whatever. I'd I mean, believe it. Take shelter? Like, he's, he's good yeah. now? Yeah. He can play a little more. phenomenal. He can play a little more subdued. I know uh, he's like a fucking that psychopath. Superman movie. Where he <laughs> plays General Zod. That was pretty good. I'm far more inclined Bang. to think Michael Shannon is a real life psycho than Kevin James. <laughs> but after that pitch, I don't know. I, I think the Kevin reason, James seems like he has some depth to him now. The I'm reason really why I that, wanted yeah. my inspiration for my movie was Punch Drunk Love, of trying oh. to get Kevin James's Adam Sandler Punch Drunk Love performance of like. He's still an idiot. You know, you can't make Kevin James do a dramatic performance, but let's try to make him be an idiot with, like, just, just one or two scenes where he's 
dark and crazy. And I feel like Here Comes the Boom gives him... I, I saw enough range from him of, like, I can get one scene from him. Ah. One, it might take 40 takes, but <laughs> one scene. That's, very, right, that's um, very interesting. I mean... Final statements from everyone? Uh, final... About my movie yeah, or theirs? Just in general. Uh, I mean, it's not a competition. It's like everyone's trying to win Oscars and everyone's supportive in the business. <laughs> in the industry. You know the business. <laughs> <laughs> the biz. Uh, I, I feel like I did a good job. Uh, <laughs> uh, my musical score is like all Wale because like DC, like he's the only DC rapper I could think of. And okay. That's where Kevin Durant's from. I feel like Wale's got some bangers. You're so. not getting the soundtrack uh, <laughs> Oscar. <Sorry>. What? <laughs> <laughs> all right. That would have been a tiebreaker. I'm going for acting awards. So, Sergei Ronan, Brendan Gleeson for supporting actor, uh, Kevin James for best actor. You know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> comments from you, Cam? I'm going for subject matter handled very delicately. <laughs> uh, taking something very heavy, but just, just getting it right. I think Sam Mendes is the man for the job. Okay, well, uh, it was interesting. Sorry, um, any uh, Oscars that you're in particular going for, Peter? Because it's I like how you guys just mentioned yours, and I'm trying to see how they line up with what I gave you guys. So I, f- I feel like they just like killed you with like the big names, right? Like the, there was a lot of big actors. Um, not yeah, I'm, I'd say like uh, cinematography. Like I had some like pretty crazy <laughs> scenes of like basketball scenes that are like. Wow, I've never seen a basketball movie. Roger Deakins. Do you get I never really her? felt like I was in a basketball movie before. And there's also a fight scene when they... Um, I didn't get into that. <laughs> when they're in South Beach for an away game. Um, <laughs> no adding to your pitch. No adding to your pitch. No, no, but it's great. Okay. Uh, Drew Cramwell and Kevin Durant get in a fight. And it's like a lot like collateral. I, I you remember that, that scene? Really? So, yeah. So, cinematography. Okay. Um, damn. Actually, it's funny because you guys... I'm going to show you my notes. But you guys came very close. <laughs> what you guys named as uh, like as Oscar categories, I actually wrote in your <laughs> <laughs> under your names. So uh, let's get down to my verdict. Um, before I begin, actually no, I'll tell you guys the the complete the complete standings at the end. You'll be able to count anyway. Um, so let's start with you, Peter, because you went first. Thank um, you. I gave you a documentary. Uh, <laughs> wait, no, sorry. Oh fuck. Sorry, I gave you original screenplay because I think that story... I, I was thinking in my mind as you were des- describing it, I was thinking of a cross between uh, More Than a Game, you know, that LeBron James uh, documentary, uh, combined with... Um, oh, fuck. It's like a it's like a Glory Road type... Not Glory Road. Hold on. That's about, that one was about racism. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like it, it's like a, based on true events... Uh, but like high, very dramatized version of uh, like a basketball movie. So adapted screenplay. No, mm. no, no, no. <laughs> I'll cut to that later. I it was a, very original because it was. Um, I was generous in that you did not follow <laughs> Thunderstruck at all, <laughs> but I like how you uh, took the idea of the talent switching, of Kevin Durant giving Russell Westbrook his knowledge. Which definitely did not happen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I wrote documentary, but I think that was at the very beginning before you explained the rest. So I'm gonna stick with uh, original screenplay and cinematography. Cinematography. 
Okay, thanks again. I feel like I'm not going to win, but thank you for the notes. No. Um, <laughs> uh, let me finish. <laughs> uh, Carson, you were next. Um, I gave you... Oh, I gave you Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress. So, Sergi Ronan, because she's I, I really like her. Uh, she won Best Supporting Actress and uh, Best Supporting Actor. You mentioned Brandon Gleeson, but I gave yeah. it to Adam Sandler. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, like, I know he has it in him. And I could, just in my mind's eye, I could see him playing that... Uh, that He's guy. an asshole. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean it, like, the punch-drunk love type asshole. Like, not necessarily that's how he he's like he's a like he's an asshole but like it's kind of the way he is and the way his mind works and he's overdue for an oscar <laughs> yeah i mean he did but like actually yeah. he did produce two of the three uh shitty movies that uh, <laughs> we're talking about today but i mean sure he should get an oscar <laughs> um uh and also i gave you best picture oh wow yeah Wow. Uh, nothing for Kevin James. Cause, that's fair, that's fair. Because he's a piece of shit. Oh. <laughs> um, Cam, I gave you uh, Best Adapted Screenplay because um, you went beat for beat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, were th- you stuck the closest to the original um, plot of That's My Boy. It's not that different. Which, <laughs> it's not at all. The one difference is that, um, uh, what's... Uh, fuck what's his name Michael Shannon tries to uh, get his son molested mm-hmm. that that ver- that really puts your uh, Oscar chances in jeopardy but I think the I disagree <laughs> the... I, I think I know the Hollywood I think Louis press. I think Louis CK would disagree <laughs> uh, with you he wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected <laughs> um, I also gave sorry my phone just died um, oh I gave you best director mm. Uh, I don't know who your director is, but I gave it to you. <laughs> who is your director? Sam Mendes. Oh, Sam okay. Mendes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned, wait, what did he do um, that you just mentioned? Revolutionary Road. Revolutionary Road. And um, American Beauty. American Beauty. American Beauty. American Beauty. Skyfall. Oh, Spectre. Yes. So from his, from his track record, there was a reason why I did that. From his track record, which you mentioned before, you didn't say Jarhead, but. The John Krasinski vehicle, Away We Go. I don't know that one. Anyways, you got best director, <laughs> and you got oh, you got best actor for Michael Shannon, mm. yeah. uh, because I, I think it. he's overdue. Uh, like you guys meant, you know, Peter mentioned you guys definitely uh, loaded your movies with uh, with the actors. Jessica Lang and Glenn Close. Uh, Jessica Lang and Glenn Close Close did not win anything. <laughs> um, and it was originally okay. Sorry, coming back to Peter, it wasn't originally a three-way tie, but I realized that I put documentary and original screenplay in the same, like, I gave you both. Is that possible? For it to be an original screenplay and also a documentary? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's up to you. Then you get a documentary as well. I think that is possible, it's right? The first in the history of the Oscars. No, 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 no. That that's possible because like it's it's a documentary. It's based on true events, but the screenplay is like original. Nice. Right. I'll show you guys my votes. I'm not lying. I mean, my- <laughs> <laughs> thank you to the judge. Uh, true to drug- form, a little eye raising, like racial skew towards <laughs> all of the. I I'm not gonna lie. My my love for basketball did give me a little bit of bias, but. 
in the end, it was a three-way, our first three-way tie. Uh, three Oscars for, nice. each, for everyone. Cool. Uh, no one got like animated movie or... Uh... Oh no, mine's, mine's animated. animated, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one still got animated movie. Uh, but like, actually great job to everyone. Thank you. I, I applaud all of you. I was, I was uh, shocked and uh, entertained at the same time. Um, I will say, Kevin Durant makes Ray Allen look like uh, Tom Wiseau. Ooh. <laughs> um, Should revoke Oscars. Right? I, <laughs> I take away documentary. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is my verdict. Uh, this was very much fun. Wow. All right, to end off the episode as we usually do, movies that we are looking forward to coming out in the next month. Who has one? I'll go first. I'm really looking forward to I, Tanya. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, it's the story of Tanya Harding, uh, as portrayed by Margot Robbie. Yes. Tanya Harding was uh, the absolute savage who paid to have <laughs> her opponent kneecapped uh, before. Was it, was it the Olympics or was it just an international competition? Yeah, in any case, oh, I think it was the Olympics. they're both Americans. She paid to sabotage another American. It was kind of like a class thing. It's really inter- it, it looks really well done. Uh, just a personal fan of Tanya's. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Do we think this is the one that will get Margot Robbie an Oscar? I think she does a really good job from like the clips that I've seen. Yeah, like I haven't seen the movie, totally but like unfair, I feel like she could get nominated. I, from from what I've seen, it looks like it could be that kind of baby. But like, I don't know. It would be I, a I'm great hopeful. comeback from Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she did a really good job in the movie. It wasn't her fault. It was a shitty movie. I actually didn't like her in that movie. But like that's that's Harley Quinn's character is supposed to be shitty. It's a separate podcast, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not the Oscar podcast. Uh, Oh, I guess I'll go next. No, 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 someone else go next. Um, So the movie I'm looking forward to is Molly's Game. Uh, And speaking of kind of the best actress uh, Oscar nomination, I think Jessica Chastain is probably going to get in the conversation for that, even though I haven't seen it. Uh, But Aaron Sorkin, as I, I don't know whether I love or hate his kind of overall theme of his uh, screenplays, but the dialogue is always phenomenal, and I'm just looking forward to that purely from Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba. Purely from a dialogue perspective, I think it's going to be an interesting movie. Uh, Also, Jessica Chastain's cleavage in the trailers is phenomenal. Oh my. Jessica Chastain. My gosh. (laughs) Damn. I didn't know this podcast was so... (laughs) (laughs) Can we go next? Yes. Okay, well, my laptop died halfway through this, so I'm pulling this up my phone. Uh, but the movie I'm excited to see is called A Prayer Before Dawn. Oh, yeah. um, I read the book of the same title. It's kind of like um, it's like a very violent, like realist movie about a uh, British boxer who had a drug addiction in London, and he just kind of kind of wanted to run away from his demons and go to. I think it was Thailand. He went to yeah, it was Thailand. Um, he started boxing there he was successful but his drug addictions kind of followed him around there so he actually went to prison and he had a very successful like thai boxing is huge in uh, like kickboxing is huge in the prison system there so he had actually a very successful run there and just kind of trying to get his life back on track while doing that it just seems like a badass movie it kind of seems like um it's that movie where the guy gets arrested in the 70s Oh, <laughs> <what? Yeah. laughs> or uh like drug smuggling turkish midnight Ex- midnight run midnight express midnight like special like like that. Anyway. Uh, looks like that looks like that movie meets fight club so i think we're learning a lot about you and your love for violence 
this episode. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Thank you. <laughs> started off the show saying he was that psychopath from It. <laughs> Half of that movie it reminds me of uh, a movie I saw at TIFF. The one movie, no, sorry, one of the two movies I saw at TIFF. It was about like a, a boxer um, and his dad in the Philippines, like a Filipino boxer, and then um, they get into like some sort of fight fixing controversy, and then they go on the run, and his dad gets beat up. It's not it wasn't that good, but it was it was, it was uh, like the Filipino it was a Filipino movie. <laughs> yeah. Min- Midnight Express is what I'm talking about. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's not alike at all. <laughs> um. I guess I'll go next because I'm the only one left. Um, I went uh, completely in a different direction from everyone else. I picked the Maze Runner, uh, the third <laughs> installment. <laughs> Let's uh, go. The Maze Runner, the Death Cure. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the first two movies. Uh, they are <laughs> dumb popcorn movies, and I love them. They're based on young adult books. <laughs> um, you teen, know what? Teen fiction. Teen fiction. That is, that is what the yeah. There's some other reasons why I like them. Uh, There's the zombie uh, influence, zombie movie influence, um, which the zombies uh, resemble the clickers from the PlayStation 4 game Last of Us, (laughs) which I also love. It's a small reason. Um, Why else? Um, Uh, So, with this, we'll have to say goodbye to Paulo as he's been banned from all future episodes (laughs) for liking Maze Runner. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's not that bad. You guys didn't say anything when I... Uh, I actually didn't... Like, as far as YA movies go, I didn't mind the first Maze Runner movie. Yeah. Hand, in, hand in your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you guys didn't fire me when I uh, sang the praises of Triple X. Uh, <laughs> the, oh, that the, is worse. That what is, is the worse. latest one called? I don't even remember the name. <laughs> Return of Xander Cage. Return of Xander Cage. That was last episode. I was going to say High Octane. <laughs> that, that could have easily been the title that's the sequel actually anyways yeah, the, the prequel <laughs> anyways Maze Runner um, Death Cure this goes against exactly what Carson was saying in his rant but uh, I'm gonna watch it <laughs> alright well uh, thanks for tuning in everyone and uh, goodbye I guess until next month cheers <laughs>